Hi, everyone, and welcome to Treks Through Time. I am your host and Freight Waves Deputy Editor, Brielle Jekyll, and I'm here to tell you about some of the most interesting stories throughout history in transportation and freight. And today we really embark on a captivating journey to uncover the secrets surrounding one of history's greatest maritime mysteries, the Mary Celeste. Now, on December 5th, 1872, a sight both eerie and kind of strange unfolded upon the vast expanse of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, the British brigantine Mary Celeste was discovered adrift and deserted by her crew, almost like she was plucked from existence by an unseen force. What happened uh, aboard the ship? Where did the crew vanish? Um, why was the ship left intact but completely abandoned? We really don't know. So today we will sail through time to explore the events leading up to this discovery of the ill-fated vessel. Um, the story begins with the ship's final departure from New York Harbor, destined for Italy, carrying a cargo of industrial alcohol. And the voyage seemed really ordinary, but it was, ended up being one of the strangest things to happen in maritime history, like I said. After approximately a month at sea, a passing ship spotted the Mary Celeste drifting aimlessly in the waters, expecting to offer assistance to a distressed vessel. So the captain and crew of the, uh, of the ship were met with a really unsettling scene. The Mary Celeste was completely silent, a ghost ship just sailing the seas by herself, um, and the sails were partially set. The cargo remained undisturbed, but the lifeboat was missing. The crew, completely gone, vanished without a trace. And there were no signs of a struggle, no evidence of foul play, just a completely empty boat sitting in the ocean, completely full of its cargo. So we today are going to speak with author Valerie Martin, who wrote the nonfiction book, The Ghost of the Mary Celeste, to learn more about this crazy mystery. We'll dig deeper into this ongoing mystery and explore the various theories put forth to explain why the crew disappeared. Was it piracy? Was it mutiny? Maybe a catastrophic event that forced everyone to abandon ship, or maybe even it was natural forces that played a role, leaving the Mary Celeste adrift with her crew lost in the realm of the unknown. While Miss Martin will take us through, take us into her research and through historical records and the captivating tales that have been woven throughout the years, we'll find out some of the theories and some of the evidence that she found along the way. So let's hear what she has to say now. Hi, everyone. I am here with Valerie Martin, who is the author of The Ghost of the Mary Celeste, which is a really interesting story um, based on a true, well, it is a true story um, of a very crazy um, story at sea that I'm very excited to share with you all today. Hi, Valerie. Thank you so much for coming on. Nice to be here. Yeah. So um, first, I just want to, um, before we get into the details of the story, because it's it's such a, 
a wild uh, story. I, I want to know what inspired you to write about the book of the Mary Celeste in particular. Well, I grew up in New Orleans, and my dad was a sea captain, so um, I didn't see him a lot. Um, and I think I was probably in about fourth grade, and I read in my weekly reader at, at school. We had little uh, magazines that had stories of, of all kinds. Spooky stories were very popular. Mm -hmm. And I read uh, this, uh, the brief story that they gave about the Mary Celeste, a ship that was found at sea in good condition, but no one was on it. Um, so when I went home, it just happened to be a time when my dad was home. And so I asked him if he knew anything about it. And that was probably the first time in my life that I ever had my father's complete attention. It was really, um, you know, it made the story stick in my, in my mind that it interested him so much. Um, so I, you know, there it was just in my head uh, over the years. Um, and then I was doing some research on something else, and I came across the fact that author Conan Doyle had written a story uh, about the Mary Celeste. It was one of his first stories before he invented Sherlock Holmes. And it was um, a totally ridiculous uh, fabrication of what might have happened. He had heard the story when he was a, a young man. And it was published without his name on it because it was published in a magazine in which all stories were anonymous. So it was a while before people even knew that he wrote that story, but eventually it got collected with his other stories. So those two things, the fact that I kind of knew about the story and that I was, I had written a book that took place in that period. I knew pretty much about that period, how people lived, what they did. Uh, I just began to think, well, I'll, let me take a stab at it and see what I can find out. So that was what drew me to, to decide that I was going to write the story. That's um, such an... Um, I, I'm, I'm, exci I'm excited by the fact that you grew up in New Orleans. I think that's really cool, and that you have like a personal connection to the state. Um, but I'm terrified of water, you know, and I, I would never go in a boat. <laughs> oh, really? No way. That's funny. I, I grew up on boats, and now all of a sudden, I, I do get really nervous when my dad starts going super fast. Um, yeah, no. boats are scary. As they, they are. Well, and then and then this story will prove it. So, um, why don't you get into the story a little bit and tell us um, tell us what makes this story so unique? Well, in some ways, it was not unique. There were lots of ghost ships, as they called them, empty ships floating around in in that period. But what was unique about it was just the circumstances of how it was found and it's in some ways who found it and who was on it and 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 why they were never able to figure out why the, uh, the crew left. So I just let me start the story. It, it starts in um, it was in November of 1872 when the ship left the Mary Celeste left from New York headed for Genoa. Uh, it was a fairly standard sort of trip. The captain was um, a very seasoned captain from the town of Marion, Massachusetts, where everybody went to sea. The graveyards there are, are just heartbreaking because it's it's all these mostly men, but some women and children. Uh, and for a cause of, or on a grave, it says um, LAS, lost at sea. It was that common for people to go to sea and not come back. Benjamin himself had lost his brother, sister-in-law, and a little niece um, just the year before in a 
uh, a ship crashed that took place uh, somewhat north of there. So, um, but that's what he was. He was a sea captain, and uh, his his wife uh, wanted to go with him on this trip for for various reasons. She had traveled with him before. She hated going to sea, but she had a two year old daughter and um, wanted to take her with them. So they all decided that the family was on the ship, and they were carrying one thousand seven hundred barrels of alcohol, and it was not drinking alcohol. It was the kind of alcohol you use to in fact to enhance spirits but it's like rummy alcohol um and that might give you pause i mean it's it's i was thinking about you you know you're having a a website about freight um why is it necessary to move 1700 barrels of um alcohol from new york to Geneva when alcohol is is this you know it's something you make in a lab right so it's this one of those many vagaries of um, freight that that was something that was fairly common mm-hmm. for that kind of a load to be put on a very small ship. The barrels must have been in there so tight that nobody could go down there once they got it all in, which was kind of fed into the, the mystery, as I'll, as I'll explain. So off he sailed and um, was out about two weeks. And then on December the 4th in 1872, so... Uh, not just just a few weeks. Um, another ship that had left eight days behind him and was captained by a friend of his, whose name was Morehouse, and they had had dinner together before Benjamin took off on the Mary Celeste, um, spotted the ship and recognized his friend's ship just floating around uh, off the coast of Genova, about 800 miles out there, way out there, off the coast of the Azores. And it it just made no sense, so they drew up to it, and he sent a couple of sailors on to the ship to see what was going on, and they found that there was no one on it, although it was perfectly seaworthy, um, and who, they had left in a hurry. Clearly, they'd taken the chronometer. The boat, the longboat, was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd taken the chronometer and the, um, the sextant, um, the last log entry was 10 days before they found the ship. Um, there was a pump that had been disassembled lying on the deck. Um, but there was just nothing wrong with the ship. There was no message. They appeared to have left in a really big hurry. But they didn't at, vanish. There was stuff taken. So they, there was, there were signs that they clearly left them. It, yes. There were, there were signs that they got into the boat in, into, although, there was counter stories that came along later that said there was no lifeboat on that ship. So that's where we start to get the theories that include things like giant octopus. Right. <laughs> because there really, it really was a, a serious puzzle about what happened. And basically, it's never been solved. Did they investigate or? or- yeah, what happened was uh, Captain Morehouse. Um, put two sailors on the ship and they brought it into Janibor, 800 miles alone, just two guys running this pretty good sized ship. If you sail, you know how really horrific that must have been. Um, they'd had a terrible crossing. The weather had been really, really bad all, all the way and continued to be bad. But they got it into Janibor to claim salvage because the alcohol was still there waiting to be delivered. 
So um, they didn't bring, bring it to Genoa. I'm sorry. They took it to Gibraltar, to the Admiralty Court. So the Admiralty Court investigated. And their first thought was that the salvagers had actually killed all the people on the, sh- on the ship in order to, to bring, bring it in and claim salvage. Which makes no sense because the captain of the, of the Dea Gracia, that was the other ship, was a friend of Benjamin Briggs, and uh, but they did claim salvage. They didn't ultimately. They they didn't. They only got a percentage of what they would normally have gotten, and the alcohol was unloaded and taken to Yanaba, and the trip was concluded. Wow. So, what are some th- some some other theories? You know, we know we have that theory that. Um, they wanted to claim the salvage, but what are besides a giant octopus? Yeah, pirates is a theory, but the, but nothing was stolen, so probably not pirates. Um, but there were pirates. Um, one was a group hallucination caused by a bread fungus because they found some bread that was moldy. <laughs> uh, another was that the captain had committed suicide, and everybody fell against each other, and somehow all managed to kill each other and go overboard. Um, a mutiny was was a possibility, but, you know, why would there be nobody on the ship and and where did the mutineers go? It didn't make much sense. Um, so let's see what else we had. Uh, a giant octopus. One theory was that in this area of the ocean, sometimes there were these, basically an island that would rise up and ships would get stuck on it and, and they could get out and walk. That that happened, that an island rose up, everybody got off the ship to take a stroll, and then the island went down and the ship went away. Um, that's that's pretty far-fetched. Um, and, uh, of course, another possibility is aliens. Right. <laughs> Always. Um, yeah, so, so, so those are some. What's your favorite? Um, well, I, I came to think, and that's what my book is about, because of everything I read about Benjamin Briggs, he was a really um, upright person. He didn't drink, uh, and he was a really good sailor and a, and a good captain. And what happened seemed to have happened in a panic, and he just wasn't the kind of captain who would panic. You know, my dad's ship caught on fire out at sea once, and he had to sail it into Spain with the flames coming out of the top of it while they brought in all the fire engines. You know, he kept a cool head. So they tried to suggest that because the alcohol was leaking a little bit, it leaked about 300 gallons, um, that the fumes either blew off the, the, the deck top or, or just they could smell the fumes, and that they panicked, got in the ship, got in a little boat, and um, sailed away. Oh. Um, but I just don't think that he would do that. That was what I finally concluded. So... My conclusion was that he was not on the ship, and that was the only thing that I concluded, I, and I didn't know what happened afterwards. But we do know that it was horrific cro- crossing, and people got blown off of ships. Oh, so it was really difficult. Oh, yeah. They had had a really bad, and, you know, it's interesting now that we know exactly what the weather was like, and we know how far off course he was. He also didn't know where he was, because his logbook entry and the chronometer um, didn't match, and he was about 120 miles um, further east than he thought he was. So he didn't know where he was. He was lost. Oh, wow. 
So that's really all we know is that they were lost. It the cargo was there, and they they took some stuff with them. Yeah, and then there no sign of them was ever found. That is so wild, and I want to know what happened. Yeah, I know. I, I you know I certainly have read everything I could find out about what might have happened, and there are a lot of theories. Um, you know, I finally came to believe that for some reason or another. They were frightened and got on the ship. A, a detail is that there was a rope hanging off the back of the ship that was just torn. Basically, it looked like it had just been, you couldn't tell whether it was cut or worn or what, but it was torn. And if they, as one captain posited, if they had got into the longboat and hooked it to the back of the ship because they weren't sure what was going on, and the wind picked up, which it did, they know that that was a very windy day. It could have ripped the cord and then they were gone. Oh, okay. And that seems feasible. Mm-hmm. And then because it was a you know horrible seas, this the little ship went down. Right. So, were there any lasting effects on the shipping industry after that? Like, did anyone think like maybe we should, should keep better records or, or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there really were. I mean, because of this fact that there were ghost ships. Um, floating around but those were all ships that people knew what went wrong right long and there was one that conrad writes about that people saw in the atlantic for years just kind of wandering around this very large uh, empty ship there's still empty ships floating around at sea mm-hmm. you know probably some big old tankers are out there just floating around the sea is a scary beast so um I don't think it really it changed a lot. Um, I don't think they um, stopped shipping dangerous fluids, right? And so, and yeah, I don't, I don't think too much. I think it changed. Certainly, it changed the world of the Briggs family, right? Because they lost, you know, they they lost so many that the grandmother lived to be I don't know a hundred or something, but she survived probably ten of her family members. Oh my God. Her, her, uh, although her husband was a captain and he died of being struck by lightning in the living room. Of all the things, this family's yeah. lucky. Yeah. After all his, his sea voyages, he'd made many. He'd lost both his sons at sea. Oh, that's terrible. So what, in your research, was there any lesser known details or aspects that were particularly really intriguing to you? Um, let me think. I, I guess I, what intrigued me was that Arthur Conan Doyle would would step in yeah. and decide that he was going to solve the mystery. And the way he solved the mystery was really outrageous. He solves it by saying that at the very last possible minute when they were leaving New York, a um, kind of elegant maybe and, and seemingly very intelligent black man uh, asked for passage. And they gave it to him. And then in the story, he's constantly adjusting the chronometer. And they don't know where they're going. And that suggested to me that uh, Doyle did a lot of research. Because, you know, he had read all the all the records that came out of the Admiralty Court. And he knew that they were sailing where, with, where they should not have been. That they were off course. So what, what he has... Happening is this this black sail, this black man, elegant man. I can't remember his name. Um, is actually 
the lost king of an African tribe, and he's trying to get back to Africa. And he gradually kills everybody on the ship one by one, and then sails his sails into Africa. It's a real colonialist fantasy, of, yeah. You know, of the most disgusting order. <laughs> but so, yeah, that was a detail that really fascinated me. That's interesting. Is that is did it uh, your research make you even more scared of the sea? Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't like it before, but you know now. You know, there, this recent story we have of people who would pay two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get into a bathtub and go down to find the Titanic makes you think. What is the attraction of the sea? Oh my god, I know that everything. It everything it is says stay away. Yeah, I mean, and that just shows how we like that captivated the world. Like everyone's been watching the story. It's it's yeah. it's such a folly. You know. Yeah. And I, you know, adventurers at sea are full of these stories of people who, they, I mean, this story is not a folly. These were just people trying to do their job and make a living. This, the saddest part is that Benjamin and, and Sarah were hoping not to say, he, that he would not have to sail again. They wanted to retire. This was going to be their last trip. Do you know how many stories I cover that that's a detail in? It's, it's crazy. I, I mean, it's almost every tragedy I cover is has somebody on board that this was their last time. Yeah. And you know, isn't that strange? Yeah, that that's true. Of course, they thought it was gonna be their last time. And it, and it was. <laughs> well, can you uh tell everyone where they can find their your book if they are interested in learning more about this? Yeah, here's my book. My book right here. Goes to the Mary Celeste. You can order it from your local bookstore. I always, it's from it's from vintage. It's in paper. It's available. You can get it. You can get it on Amazon, but it's better to go to your local bookstore. I will absolutely do that. And thank you so much for telling us this story. And thank you for coming on. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's um yeah, like I said, it's it's such an interesting story, and and it's fun to hear all the theories and and your research into it. Yeah, it, it's a good story, and and being one of the things that's great about it is. I just received a book in the mail a couple of days ago from a young French writer. I, I met him years ago, and he's written a new book about the Mary Celeste, and it's called, and it's about a young woman who's the last person to get on the ship, who survives. Oh, so, interesting! The story goes on, but this book is not out yet. It's, it'll be out next year. Oh, I'll keep an eye out for that as well. Well, thank you again, and thank you everyone for tuning in. Yes, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you so much to Miss Martin for coming on and giving us all that insight into such a mystery. Um, and before we go, I do have your fun fact of the day. Did you know that container ships today are so large that an average ship can carry up to 745 million bananas, which actually is roughly one banana for every single person in Europe and North America? That's a lot of bananas and a lot of space. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any theories about the Mary Celeste, feel free to reach out and let us know. You can follow me on Twitter at Jekyll Brielle to see what else we have going on at FreightWaves Classics. And you can email me at bjekyll at FreightWaves.com. And tune in next week for our, or tune in two weeks for our next episode on FreightWaves TV or listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts.